Well, um, I'm going to give you a, a quick warning. Um, I will do my best to be brief because, you know, not only does the preacher get windy, but apparently Alan gets windy too. So um, he, he pokes in front of me, so it's going to be mutual. Um, anyway, so um, we'll do our best to be brief. But we've got a lot to get to. And the other thing I want to I want to warn you about is there are a lot of tangents I might chase this morning because there's a lot in this text that um, I, I'm pretty passionate about and I really have some pretty strong feelings about. So y'all are just going to have to bear with me today. And if I chase a rabbit, I'm not apologizing. I'm just warning. Okay, so know that that is a very real possibility. And finally, the Chiefs don't play till 325 today. So we got all kinds of time. So anyway, um, that's my preface for this morning. But last week, I need you to think back to last week. And how I told you, if we're going to rise up and build, we're going to have to do some certain things. We're, there are things that are going to be required of us as we prepare to rise up and build. As we look to the future, start thinking, what is God calling us to? What is it that God has for us? What is it that we do while we wait? And I told you last week, we need to be patient, waiting for God to move, show us where it is that we need to go, wait till we are in the place. God opens the door, and that's when we need to move. I told you that we need to be prepared. So what do we do while we're waiting? We're not just sitting around in our easy chair, just waiting. No, 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 no. We are preparing ourselves for whatever it is that God has called us to. That might mean study. That might mean talking to people. That might be recruiting help. No, we don't know, but it requires us to prepare for the work that God is going to have for us. Okay? So we talked about how we need to be prepared. And at times, we are even going to need to be prodded along in that work. We're going to need one another. We're going to need our brothers and sisters to come alongside us and encourage us and to push us a little bit. So if I can do something today, I hope I can push you. Um, Not over the edge, but just, you know, push you a little bit. Okay, so my hope is that I can prod you along a little bit. And sometimes we even need outside voices. Like I was so thankful for our revival meetings this last year. Homer came, and if Homer does something, it's prod people. Like he he will push for you to move, to go where God has called you to go. And... No matter what, we're going to need to be persistent. It's going to take an ongoing dedication. Like, we're going to need to be devoted to whatever work it is that God's called us to, and we're going to need to persevere in that work. So that's what we talked about last week, as we were waiting on that work, as we're waiting for God to open the door. That's how we act. That's how we live. But this week, this week we're going to see that the time is now. Like, it gets the time for the work to be done Everything, the waiting is over, now we're on the ground, we're ready for things to be built, for the construction project to begin. Because, of course, we're talking about Nehemiah. Now, Nehemiah's calling from God is to build a wall, right? It's, it's literally to build a wall, okay? And that's what he's doing. He's building this wall around Jerusalem. And he realizes the construction project needs to start now. He's already prepared, he's waited as long as he had to wait, he's ready to go, now he's recruiting his help, he's doing everything that needs to be done to get this done. And now the time comes, And when we're in the middle of that, when the work begins, there are some essential elements that have to be there. Some things that absolutely must be present if the work's going to get done. Have to be there. They are essential. Now, we live in a time when the word essential is hotly debated, right? I mean, how many times over the last year and a half have you heard about essential or non-essential workers? We live in a time where the word essential is debated, And how crazy is that? Do you know what essential means? It means it's essential. Like it's necessary. It has to be there. How is that debatable? Like if something is necessary, it's necessary. 
I don't know how hard that is. And we live in a time where this is, it's, it's debatable. The things that we're going to talk about today are not debatable. They are essential. They have to be there. If we're going to complete the task that God has given us as a church, if we're going to complete, if we're going to reach the goal that he's given us as a church, the things that we're going to talk about today must be there. They absolutely must be there. They're necessary if the church is going to rise up and build. Now, um, for the sake, not so much the sake of time as much as the sake of me mispronouncing every name I read, we aren't going to do what we usually do. Typically, I would have you stand, we would read the entirety of the text, but there's a whole lot of names here, and y'all would fall over asleep if I just tried to read all these names. Either that or you would be laughing at me because I'd mispronounce every other one, but y'all probably wouldn't know either because, let's face it, most of us aren't Hebrew experts. So I'm not going to go through this, and I'm not going to mispronounce all these names. I'm not going to read it all, but what I do want you to do, I want you to have your Bible open to Nehemiah chapter 3. Okay, so if you have a Bible with you, wonderful, open it to Nehemiah 3. If you don't, there should be one in one of the seats in front of you. Pull that thing out, open it to the book of Nehemiah, the third chapter. That's what we're going to be focusing on. And I want you to be able to see the text. I want you to be able to see what God's word says here, okay? So I want you to be able to follow along. And as we do, I want you, I want you to see these essential elements, these things that absolutely must be present if we're going to complete the work that God has given us. Last week we prepared. This week we're talking about construction project beginning. We're building. What do we have to do? What must be present in the middle of that construction project? If we're going to complete the task of building the church, if we're going to actually see God's kingdom come, because that's what we want, right? That's what Jesus prayed. That's what he taught us to pray. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We want to see God's kingdom coming to earth. We want to see his rule and his reign now. We want to see God come, right? Y'all with me? Anybody want that? Oh, good, a few of you do. That's good. All right, wonderful. Um, so these are things that are absolutely essential. If we're going to actually build something, it's going to require, first of all, strong leadership. It's going to require strong leadership. And we see that all over this text. Okay, look at verse 1 of chapter 3. It says, The high priest Eliashib and his fellow priests began rebuilding the sheep gate. They dedicated it and installed its doors. After building the wall to the Tower of the Hundred and the Tower of Hananel, they dedicated it. Now, that might seem like just a, a quick, okay, well, oh, all right, so these guys got to work. But you notice who the work starts with? Who did the work start with? Nehemiah is sitting here, and he's recording. He's recording what happened as they start building these walls. And he starts with the high priest and then the other priests. In other words, these people who are supposed to be leaders. These people who are supposed to be pointing them to God. He says the work started with these leaders. They began to work. They started building. And they started with the sheep gate. Now, I don't want to oversell this because we're going to see here in just a minute. Um, if you look at the very last verse of chapter 3, you'll notice that the work ends. At least in chapter 3, it ends with the sheep gate after it just began with the sheep gate. And I don't want to oversell this because I believe Nehemiah is recording what happened. All right? But I do think it's significant to at least point out that the work begins and ends with the lamb entering. Like, that's just a quick note here. Like, think about this. The work of building the church, the work of building in your life, begins and ends with the work of Christ, the lamb of God, entering your life. So I do think it's significant at least to point out this starts at the sheep gate. And it starts with the leaders. So, begins with the leaders. And if the work is going to be completed, we need leaders to step up and lead. And it's not just in the beginning. These leaders, it's not like they get the ball rolling and then they step back and they're like, okay, everybody else took over, we're good to go now. 
They lead throughout. And we find over and over and over again in this text that leaders are there building alongside everybody else. They are leading in the work. Eight times, eight times in chapter 3, Nehemiah records that a leader repaired a section. A leader of the people is repairing the section eight times. For example, verse 9, it says, Raphiah, son of Hur, ruler of half of Jerusalem. This guy is a ruler in Jerusalem. He rules half the city. And it says, he built. He was working. Or over in verse 12, you find this guy named Shalom, son of Halahesh. He's the ruler of the other half of Jerusalem. And you know what he's doing? He's building. He's leading throughout. Or you go down to verse 14, you find Malchijah, son of, son of Rechab. See, there we go, I'm mispronouncing names. Ruler of Beth Hakarim. And it goes on and on and on. We find that these rulers, that these leaders of the people, they are out there invested in the work. And if we are going to see the church rise up and build, it's going to require strong leaders. Now, some of these leaders, it goes even further. Some of them are even noted for going above and beyond. Like Nehemiah, as he's, as he's looking at the work that's being done here in Jerusalem, he actually notes that some of these leaders do more of the work than others. Um, I actually have this fun little map. Could we put that up there, Steve? Um, I've got this fun little map. And this is, this is the wall that goes around Jerusalem. Okay, This is just going to put a visual representation of what happened whenever they were rebuilding. Now, you probably can't see all those names, and that's okay. Um, but you, you get the idea of how this wall was being built. And right here, this is where it began, and this is where it ended. Right there at the Sheep Gate, okay? And what they did is as they were building, they went counterclockwise around the city. That's the way that Nehemiah recorded this. So it started here, went all the way around this way, and then back up. This is actually the north end of the city. Just so you know, like if you're, if you're like me and you think, well, north should be up, you got to tilt your head sideways, okay? Because north is over here, all right? So north is to the left right now, just so you know. Most of you are like, I don't care which way is north. But... The reason I wanted to show you this is because some of them were noted for going above and beyond. First of all, in uh, chapter 3, verse 4, and verse 21, you'll find the same name. This guy named Merimoth, son of Uriah. Not only is he making repairs here, but you'll find that he's making repairs all the way down here. This guy named Merimoth, he's recorded as building in two separate sections of this city. And he's not alone. He's not alone. There's this other guy. Um, let me see if I can find him now because I've lost him. There's this guy right here, this guy named Shalom, who we just talked about a minute ago. We're going to find that he rebuilds another one, and I can't find his name now that I said it, said it. Yeah, over here, over here at the fountain gate. See? This guy named Shalom, he's building in multiple places. And you'll find him recorded in verse three, chapter 3, verse 4, and over in verse 30 where he's making multiple repairs. And there are other similar examples of these leaders of the people out there going above and beyond the call of duty. Couldn't... Okay, couldn't this guy named Merrimoth, couldn't he have just built right there and then called it good like I did my part? He probably could have, but he didn't. He realized as a leader it was his responsibility to push, to go get the job done, to do what needed to be done. So he did. He realized what it took to be a strong leader. And then there's one more guy I want to point out real quick while we're here. Um, there's this guy named, right here named Baruch. Baruch. He's the only one. As you're reading through chapter 3, this, this stuck out like a sore thumb to me. You come to this guy named Baruch, son of Zabai. It says that he diligently repaired another section. That's verse 20 in case you didn't catch that. It says that he diligently repaired another section. This word diligently is an important one because it tells us how he worked. It's not like he just went and like, okay, I got to go do my job. I suppose I'll get it done eventually, so I'm going to go halfway and try to, try to do No. 
what this word diligently means, it means to burn or to glow. It literally means that he burned a lot of energy, that he was on fire. Like, y'all ever seen those people that they get started at something and you just can't stop them? Like, I, I, there's some of those people in this church right now. Like, I, I think it's really funny. I get ideas, and I don't know how to do it, and I just mention it to somebody, and they're like, oh, yeah, let's go do that. Yes. And then they just run. Like, just, you know, it's like you just unleash them, and they go do it. Like, that's, that's this guy named Baruch, right? He got this. He knew what needed to be done, and he went, and he burned the energy. He was glowing. He was on fire for the work that needed to be done. And as Nehemiah is coming around, I just want you to picture this for a minute. Nehemiah is overseeing the, the building of this wall, and he comes around. And he's like, okay, we got, we got these guys right here. Here's uh, Bavai, and then over here, here's Ezer, and then, oh, my goodness, look at Baruch. Woo! That boy's getting after it. And that's what we see. This guy is leading people by his actions. He's out there burning this energy. He's getting after it, absolutely going to work. Essentially what he's doing is he's living Ecclesiastes 9.10, which says, whatever your hands find to do, do it with all your strength. Or if you want a New Testament example, this is Colossians 3.23, right? Some of you probably have Colossians 3.23 memorized. It says, whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord and not for people. I know Colossians wasn't written until hundreds of years later, but this guy was embodying that in the Old Testament. He was burning the energy. He was doing the work for the Lord. He was getting after it. Interesting fact, though. um, Several of these who are listed as going above and beyond, while I would classify them as leaders, they're not given titles. Just an interesting fact here. Like, they're not given a title. So why does that matter? Well... Oftentimes we think, we think leader equals title, or title equals leader. Did you know that's not always the case? Did you know that? Now, I, I want to be clear just for a minute because uh, I want to be very careful because we've got elders who are in our church who I, I believe are leaders in our church. Uh, I absolutely believe they are. But did you know that the title of elder does not necessarily equal leader? It should, but it doesn't always. I have been a part of churches. I have seen churches where the people with the titles, they're not leading anything. They're sitting on the sidelines. That's not the way it's supposed to be, just so we're all on the same page. But I've also been a part of churches, including this one, where there are people who I would certainly classify as leaders who have no title. They're just part of the church. And they're out there like Beirut burning energy. Like, absolutely getting after it. And those people are leading simply by virtue of what they're doing. There are leaders in this church right now, people who, honestly, what they say probably carries more weight than what I say. I've got a title of pastor, and what some of these people say probably carries more weight with y'all than what I say. I'm not just saying that to be, like, self-deprecating or being sarcastic. I'm actually being serious. Like, there are people, and you can watch. You can almost see it. There are some folks in this room right now that when they speak, people stop talking and they listen. Those people are leaders, even if they don't have a title. Why? Well, it's either by virtue of their wisdom, by virtue of their efforts, by virtue of something else. They they, They demand that kind of respect, and they lead people the way they should go. And that's what we find... From Beirut, he's leading, he's out there getting after it. And there are certainly people in this church and other churches I've been a part of. I think about my last church, there was a, an older lady who I absolutely considered to be a leader. She had no title, no title. 
She just she was content coming to church. She was doing her business. She didn't want a title. She didn't want anything like that. But she showed up. She put in the work. She went above and beyond. And people listened when she spoke because they knew she was invested in the work she was doing. I mean, there are men and women all over the place who are leading by virtue of the work that they're doing. And I think that we would be wise to look for that. And if we're going to build anything, it's going to require that strong leadership. Now, the only negative example of leadership in chapter 3, the only negative example is the Tekoites, right? Look at verse 5. Verse 5, there's these, these people called the Tekoites. They're from Tekoa. It's just a little ways from Jerusalem. And ironically, the Tekoites themselves, they go above and beyond. But notice what it says in verse 5. It says, beside them, the Tekoites made repairs, but their nobles did not lift a finger to help their supervisors. Their nobles didn't lift a finger. Literally what this text says is that they would not bend their neck to the work. It's saying that they were above it. Like, no, 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 we're, we're the nobles. We're not getting to work today. Y'all catch the sarcasm in that? I hope you did because I'm trying to lay it on pretty thick. That's what they did though. They're like, no, we're too good for this work. We'll, uh, we'll let those lowly people go do it and we'll take the credit, but we're not going to bend our neck to the work. We're not going to put our backs on the line. This is a way that they could say we're above that. And that's the only negative example we get in this entire chapter. They were too high up on the food chain. And we see where it got them, right? They are literally the only black mark reported in Nehemiah chapter (laughs) 3. All because they were too good to go do the work. Only negative example of leadership found in chapter 3. What I'm getting at is we need people who are willing to roll up their sleeves and get in the trenches to do the work that needs to be done. That's what a leader is. That's what a leader should be. Somebody who's willing to get in the trenches and do the work that needs to be done. I'm not just talking about physical labor. Maybe that's part of it for sure. But I'm not saying that's all of it. That is certainly not all of it. I'm talking about people who are willing to be intentional about building up their brothers and sisters. Like to encourage their brothers and sisters to step in alongside them. I'm talking about people who are deliberately talking to their neighbors about Jesus. Because the truth is, we're not just trying to build a building. We're not just trying to build a bigger building with cooler toys. That's not what we're here for. Honestly, if this all went away, I hope this church wouldn't be any less. I hope that instead we would actually rally around something else because it would be the person and work of Jesus. And we'd be like, okay, yeah, our building's gone, but you know what? We're still the church. We need to build something that's bigger than this. And I hope that we're willing to get in and get in the trenches and build something. And we need leaders who are being willing to be strong and get in there and do the labor. To go do the work that it takes to build the church. So, the task of building is going to require strong leadership. Second, the task of building is going to require the proper motivation. It's going to require the proper motivation. It appears from this chapter that the workers were encouraged to build near their homes. It just appears that way. Near their homes. Six times, six times in this chapter, we find that workers either worked near his house or near their homes. Six times, Nehemiah reports that. That somebody built by their home, right? There's Jediah in verse 10. There's Merimoth in verse 21. There's Benjamin and Hashub in verse 23. There's Azariah in verse 23. The priests in verse 28. There's Zadok in verse 29. And then there are examples of the servants who work near their homes in verse 26. There's this guy named Shemaiah. He's recorded as working on the gate where he works. Like that's his job is to oversee this gate, to guard this gate. And that's where he starts rebuilding. Like what what do you think is going to give him the right motivation? He's got the job of protecting this gate, of overseeing this gate. I want to make sure it's built right. This guy's got motivation because this is part of his life. It affects him directly. 
And then there's this guy named Hashabiah who makes repairs that says for his district in verse 17. So he oversees this district. He's like, okay, I'm going to make the repairs for the district that I'm, I'm in charge of. I'm going to go do the work. I have the motivation to do it. Why do I bring this up? Well, because if we're going to do the work of building the church, we're going to have to have the proper motivation. And did you know it begins in your own backyard? The work of building the church begins in your own backyard. Now, um, this, is, this has kind of been an ongoing principle that I have hammered and hammered and hammered on. And guess what? I'm not going to stop hammering on it because it comes up again and again and again in God's word. Did you know that the greatest mission field you have is your home? Huh. Oh, the mission field is in Africa? Mission field isn't isn't like Afghanistan right now? Well, maybe it is. But a bigger mission field is your living room. A bigger mission field is your backyard. That is our job. And we find over and over and over again this, this refrain, like they built near their home. They built the portion of wall near his home. And this is what Paul gets about at, Right? I'm not telling you to ignore the people around you. I'm not telling you to ignore God's calling to overseas missions. That's not what I'm telling you. Instead, I'm telling you, do those things, but build your home. Build up your home. And that Paul gets at this same concept whenever he writes to the, about the elders in the church, right? 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 4 and 5, it says, An elder must manage his own household competently and have his own children under control with all dignity. If anyone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of God's church? Think about this for a minute. If somebody doesn't know how to evangelize his children, what makes you think he can evangelize the person down the street? If he can't tell his own children about Christ, what makes you think that he's going to want to go around the world to tell somebody he doesn't know about Christ? I mean, what are we thinking? It's like, yeah, you know what? I can go tell somebody I have never met about Jesus. Maybe that's easier because there's not a lot of pressure. But if you're not building your own home, what gives you the right to go talk to somebody else? If you can't manage your own home wisely, why would God give you something else? And we sit around and we're thinking, God, give us a mission. Just give me that person in front of me that I could go tell about Jesus. Like, who's that person that you're going to put in my path today? All the while, your kids are out here running around you, like, just playing. And you're like, where's this person, God? I got three of those minions running around me all the time. Like, who do you think I'm supposed to be telling about Christ? Tell my kids. Over and over and over. Tell them about the grace of God in Jesus. What, what, who else would you rather see come to Christ? Y'all, I want everybody to come to know Christ. Don't misunderstand. If you're sitting in this room, I hope you know Jesus. But you know what? If I had to pick one person today to see, see them come to know the grace of God in Jesus, I'm going to pick my kids. Y'all, I'll, I know that's three people. That's cheating. But still, if I'm going to pick somebody, I want my kids to come to know Christ. I want them to know the grace of God in Jesus. And if we're not, if we're not even motivated to tell them, why would we be motivated to tell somebody else? And that's where this starts, Right? In the own backyard. Okay. So let's say your kids know Christ. Okay. Let's just say your kids are all Christians. They know and serve Jesus. Like they are on fire for the Lord. And you're thinking, I built my backyard. What about your next door neighbor? Some of you right now are thinking, I live out in the country. I don't have neighbors. Oh, good for you. That's cheating. What about the person at work that you see every single day? Some of you are thinking, I'm farmers. I sit in a tractor by myself all day. Again, that's cheating. Stop it. What about that person you run into at the grocery store every week? Or the person at the gas station where you go get your coffee? Or if you're like me, you're Dr. Pepper. What about that person? 
that you see every single day. That you know. You know these people. If you don't care about them, what makes you think that you're going to care about somebody else? If you don't know, if you don't care about their eternal destiny, what makes you think about them? Like, I just listened to a sermon by Matt Chandler this week um, that somebody sent to me, and it was, it was fantastic, by the way. Um, but he talked essentially about being salt and light to our community, or our, I know we're communities, but he talked about being like a light in our communities. Um, and he, he talked about Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 7. And I want to read this real quick. Jeremiah 29, 7, it says, Pursue the well-being of the city I have deported you to. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for when it thrives, you will thrive. Now, I want you to notice that in that text right there, it says, pursue the well-being. Pursue the well-being. It doesn't say, hope for the well-being of the city or wish for the well-being of your city. It says, pursue the well-being of your city. Chase after the well-being of your city. We need to be people who are running down the well-being of our city. Not, not content just to like say, well, I hope something good happens. You know, I hope somebody fixes that. We need to be people who are pursuing it. Chasing after it, trying to run it down. And if you don't care about your children's eternal well-being or your neighbor's eternal well-being, you're probably not going to care for anybody's. We need to be pursuing the well-being of our city. Because this is what motivated people. This is what motivated these people to rise up and build. It was this right here. Like their own backyards is what motivated them. Do you want to see your kids come to know Christ? Like, that's a real question. Do you want to see your children or your grandkids? Some of you are thinking, I'm a grandparent. My children all know Jesus. Okay, good. Do you want to see your grand, grandkids know, know Christ? Do you want to see them be saved from their sins for all eternity? Like, do you want that for your kids and your grandkids? Nobody's talking. You all want, don't want good things for your kids? Yes. There we go. Some of you are awake. Good. Then pursue it. Chase it down. Do you want your neighbors to come to know Christ? Pursue it. Chase it down. Run after it. Tell them about Jesus and build near your home. How do we do that? Well, this is, this is awesome, okay? This is maybe my favorite part of this whole thing, so, so just stay with me for a minute, okay? Because this is, this is good stuff. How do we do that? Well, as a Christian, this is, oh, I love this. Every day, every single day is take your children to work day. Every day. Every day. Alan talked about the unemployment rate of Christians. Like, not like actually working in our communities, but like we have works that we're supposed to be doing. Did you know you get to take your kids along for that? Every single day as a Christian is take your child to work day. One of my favorite people in this whole chapter is this guy's name, Shalom. I know I've talked about him a little bit already, but verse 12. We'll get verse 12. There's this guy named Shalom. It says, beside him, Shalom, son of Halahesh, ruler of the half district of Jerusalem, made repairs. You see those last words there? He and his daughters. Huh. He and his daughters. I'm going to try to do this without getting too emotional. um, Because I don't want you all to make fun of me. I don't really care. Um, You all know I've got a daughter. Um, Is she in here? Can she cover her ears for a minute? Because I don't want her to hear her dad gushing over her. Y'all, I love my daughter. I have the greatest daughter I could have possibly asked for. Um, My daughter is beautiful. My daughter is smart. My daughter is funny. My daughter is kind. She is caring. She's like a little mother hen herding all these other people. It's it's amazing. I, I am so thankful for the daughter God gave me. But what my daughter needs 
Y'all know we homeschool too. So I, I get to be a teacher to my daughter like at least one day a week. My wife does it most of the time, but still. Um, what my daughter needs is not more knowledge. It's not more social or more athletic programs. What my daughter needs is to see her mommy and her daddy out there serving Jesus. That's what my daughter needs. And then she needs to be given the opportunity to join them in that work. See, we're like, okay, they can see us. When was the last time you opened your Bible with your kids? So let's read this word and study this word together. When was the last time you sat down and prayed with your children and prayed over your children? Or your grandchildren? My daughter doesn't need to be a smarter girl. She's, she's going to be brilliant on her own. My daughter needs is Jesus. That's what my daughter needs. See, the faith I had whenever I was younger was extremely, like extremely self-centered. And my guess is most of you are the same way. Now, I'm going to try to be careful here because um, I don't want to give you the wrong impression. There is certainly a personal aspect to your salvation. You need to submit to Christ for yourself. Like, you need to do that. I can't save my daughter. I can't save my sons. I I can't. Uh, I can't do that. My parents can't save me. Only Jesus can do that. Like, there is absolutely a personal aspect to this. But whenever I was younger, I actually, I looked at salvation because we've become so individualistic and we've even made salvation this huge individualistic thing. I thought, well, my faith, like I need to submit to Jesus so that I can be forgiven of my sins. It's all about me, 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 and how I'm forgiven of my sins. And this is one of those rabbits I'd warned y'all I was going to chase, and here it is. So I know I'm pushing against time. Just ignore the clock because I want to get after this for a minute. All right. I was incredibly self-centered in my faith. It was all about me and what I needed to do and how I needed to move and how God needed to move in and through me. It was all about me. And did you know your faith is not all about you? I hope you see this. Like this is, this is important. I will never, absolutely never forget the day, the day that God shook me. And I was a Christian. Like I knew Jesus. I knew I was forgiven of my sin. I was a Christian, but I will never forget the day that God absolutely yanked the foundation that I was trying to build faith on because it was a faith that had all to do with me. Now, I will never forget the day he fractured that and destroyed that and said, Jared, your faith is not all about you. Wake up. It's almost as if, now, I wasn't hearing voices. Don't think I'm weird like that, okay? But I remember thinking, like I remember hearing this almost in my mind saying, Jared, my plan for you is bigger than you. Yeah, I've got a plan for your life, but it's not all about you. My plan for you is bigger than you. See, Nehemiah knew this. He knew how to motivate people. But I hope that you realize that the stakes are the same for you today as it was for Nehemiah then. Like, I hope that you see this. Your faith is not all about you. If you don't build that section of wall near your home, you know who that impacts? Shalom knew who it impacted. He knew that if he didn't build that section of wall near his home, everybody else does their part. But he doesn't build that wall near his home. You know who's impacted by that? Shalom is, for sure. And his daughter's. You want motivation? How does that not motivate you? Your children are impacted by your failure to get up and build. Your children are impacted by that. Your grandchildren are impacted by that. Your neighbors are impacted by that. Your faith is not all about you. God's work that he has for you is bigger than what he has for you. 
Rise up and build. And the task is going to require both, one, strong leadership, and two, the proper motivation. I hope you can see what motivated these people. It wasn't all me. It was their families and their friends and their city. They cared, so they, they said, we're going to rise up and build. So it's going to require the proper motivation. Third, the task of building requires constant cooperation. Constant cooperation. Because this was a team effort, right? It was a team effort. They all had to get up and work. Anybody want to guess? Quick guessing game, and I'm going to try to be quick at this point. Quick guessing game, though. Anybody want to guess how many different groups or different people there are listed in Chapter 3 with assignments? This is a real question. Like, Does anybody want to throw a number out? How many people were given assignments? Anybody? How many? Somebody said 30. It's more than that. There's 44 44 different groups or different people with assignments listed in chapter 3. 44 people. The truth is, you can't build the church by yourself. You don't have to build the church by yourself. Instead, it takes a team, it takes a group, or it takes a body of people, all moving under the power of the Holy Spirit to accomplish the work of God. So, we need leaders, but what we don't need... (laughs) It's those leaders who want to sit on the sideline and dictate the work of everybody else. Now, certainly there's a place for guidance and there's a place for organization and there's a place for all of that. There is absolutely a place for that. But what we need is men and women who are willing to get in the trenches and be co-laborers, to step in and work alongside one another. The truth is, uh, uh, quick sports analogy, I never liked being on the sidelines. I played basketball and the worst place you could have put me was on the bench next to the coach. I didn't want to be on the bench. I wanted to be in the game. I wanted to be out there playing. But see, it seems like there's a lot of Christians who are like, you know what, I just want to sit on the bench. I just want to sit here on the bench. I'm on the team, for sure. Like, I'm, 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 I'm wearing the jersey. See, the jersey? It's all clean and white because I haven't actually done anything yet. But I'm on the team. No, you're not. Get in the game. Don't be satisfied sitting on the sideline. Get in the game. These people knew that that's what it took. 44 different people listed with assignments got out there and did the work. If you want to be on the sidelines just sitting there calling the shots, you don't want to be a team player. You want to be the coach. But if we're sticking with the team analogy, we have a coach. His name is Jesus. He's calling the shots. He's the one that calls the plays. He's the one that tells us what to do. We're people who should go out and do it. And certainly there's going to be leaders on the field, right? There's captains. You all get that? There's like a team captain out there kind of like showing everybody we need to be given 110%. Nobody thought that was funny? 110%, that's the coaching thing? All right, y'all don't get it. There's this whole thing, like, we need captains out on the field. We need leaders on the field. We need leaders on the court. Absolutely we do, who are out there doing the work. We need leaders in that, but Jesus is the coach. He's the one calling the plays. My job, even as a leader in the church, is not to call the play. That's Jesus' job. Instead, leaders take what the coach says to do. They take what he says to do, and they go and implement it. And they give everything they can. That's what a leader's supposed to do. So we need leaders in this. But did you know it's not all about the leaders? Instead, what we see is we see both the leaders of the people and the everyday average person who doesn't have a title out there working side by side, shoulder to shoulder. We see the priest with the ruler with the everyday person. What you don't need is you don't need the pastor doing the work of the church. The CEO model in the church has failed over and over and over again. Do I have a role to play? Yeah, but I'm not the CEO of this church. I'm not. Do I want to be out there and do I want to work with you? Absolutely, I do. I want to be in the trenches side by side with you. That's what leaders are supposed to do. But if I do my part but you don't do yours or you do your part and I don't do mine, task doesn't get done. 
We have to work together, side by side, shoulder to shoulder, doing the work of God. And this is a good opportunity to talk very briefly about membership, and I'm going to way go over my time. I'll blame Alan. So, common misconception in the American church is this CEO model, right? And I get it. I'm a paid employee of the church. I understand. Okay, fine. Whatever. But ministry is not just the job of pastors or the elders in the church. Instead, it's the job of the members. And some of you all are thinking, well, I'm off the hook then because I'm not a member of the church. Well, shame on you. Woo! What? If you're not a believer, well, then I want to talk to you about that. And I want to pray with you. I want to pray over you. I want you to come to know Christ. Like, I want you to know Jesus and his grace. But if you are a believer, then what? Okay, well, first, you need to be baptized. If, you're, if you say, I'm a follower of Jesus and you have not been baptized, why? There's not a good answer to that question. There's not. If you are a follower of Jesus, let's go find some water. I want you to be dunked. I might want to dunk some of you. That's what we want, though, right? There's not a good excuse. So if you're a follower of Jesus, be baptized. If you've been baptized, you know what you do then? You join a church in membership. You link arms with the local body of believers in membership. That's what you do. That's it. There it is. Point over. No, I'm kidding. I got more to say. And you all are thinking, Jerry, stop talking. All right. Well, listen, I want to make myself abundantly clear. If you are saved by the grace of God, the Bible is clear. You need to be baptized. Because we think about how we are saved from something all the time. I talk about it, saved from something, saved to something. Oftentimes, we think about like, okay, I'm saved from, you know what, I've been saved, so now I'm no longer going to drink. I'm no longer going to smoke. I'm not going to cuss anymore. I'm going to quit being a jerk at work. All right? Good, good for you. Did you know the Christian faith is more than simple behavior modification? Like, modify your behavior, good for you. I don't care. That's not true. I do care. I hope your behavior is modified. I want to be careful about what I say there because y'all are going to, like, sniff that out and be like, Jared's a heretic. No, I care about the way you live. I absolutely care about the way you live. But did you know that the Christian faith is not simple behavior modification? It's actually heart transformation. Like, you need to be transformed from the inside out. And once you have, then you link yourself to a body of believers. Like, you link arms with other believers other people who have trusted in Jesus, you step in and you work shoulder to shoulder alongside them saying, I care for them. I want to bear their burdens. I want them to bear my burdens. I want to share my joy and I want them to share in mine. That's what church membership is. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27. You know what Paul calls, calls that like Lincoln Arms? You know what he calls it? He says, now you are the body of Christ in individual what? Members? Ha! That's a silly word to use there. Members of it. I preached a sermon on this a little over a year ago, so I'm going to quit hammering on it. But if you want to see it, it's on YouTube. Find us on YouTube. Go search for identity membership. And the point is, if you're a believer, be baptized. If you've been baptized, link arms with a local church. Whether it's this one or another one, link arms with another church. Work shoulder to shoulder for one goal, to build the body of Christ. If you are not a member of a local church, you're not just hurting yourself like I told you. There's other people around you. you got work to do, so you need to link arms and you need to go build. So, one thing I want to do real quick, um, I keep saying real quick, and y'all are like, Jared, you said that like eight times. Like, just stop talking. Football's going to start soon. I don't care. All right, if you have recent, I'm going to say recent. If you have, since I've been here at this church, since I've been here, that's almost two years. If y'all, y'all thinking two years. Um, if you have joined this church in membership in the last two years, would you stand for a minute? Uh, don't be shy. I see some of you. Rod, thank you for jumping up. Look at these, look at these beautiful people. Look at all of them. Look at, look at, back there too. I got a nice, nice little laser pointer. Isn't this good? 
Do you know these people joined a membership? Some of you didn't, and that's why I wanted to call them out a little bit. What they have said by saying they wanted to join this church membership is that they want to link arms with this church, with this body of believers. They want to be a part of the work that Christian Fellowship Church is doing. And some of you all don't know that they, were joined, they joined as members because things have been awkward the last two years and we didn't actually call them up and embarrass them. So I'm doing it today. Aren't they beautiful? Let's give them a round of applause. Thank you, guys. Um, I warned some of y'all I was going to embarrass you. I didn't warn all of you. So, in the church, what we need is a radical sense of cooperation, where we want to work together, where we want to work side by side with one another. Because of this, every single person recognizes they have a job to do. Everyone does their job. See, because if everybody built, but one of these people, the whole city is weak. We need people who are willing to step in and build. So we need to be radically cooperative with one another. Task of rebuilding, task of building requires strong leadership, proper motivation, and constant cooperation. So what? I'll try to tie all this together and put a button. But I got a whole other page in my notes, y'all. So how much time you got? Nobody wants to answer. Okay. Amen. Danielle said that, not me. All the time in the world. You're like, nah. Okay. If we're going to rise up and build this church, we need leaders to lead. Not people on the sidelines trying to call the plays. We need people who are willing to roll up their sleeves, get in the trenches, do the work. That's what we need. But those who are in the game, working hard and encouraging others around them, they need to be pressing forward, going above and beyond, doing the work that God has given them. That's what we need. If we're going to rise up and build, we're going to need to lead our families well. Work with your kids. And I'm going to tell you again and again and again, Have a time of family worship with your children. Model hard work and dedication to the church for them, to the work of God for them. And you know what a good way to do that is? Join a small group. That's a good way to do that. That's a really good way to model how important the church is to you. Because why would your children think that the church is important outside of Sunday mornings if you don't act like it is? Why would your kids think it's really that important if you don't act like it is? Like, yeah, we need to be a part of a church. It's a body of believers. Like, we need to be connected Okay, I'll see you Sunday. Like, why would your kids think it's important if you don't act like it's important? Why? It doesn't make sense. Let them see you strive to understand God's word, pray with them, pray over them, read God's word with them, and then work with your brothers and sisters. One thing that we're doing here as a church is we're working on organizing a few different teams that will help facilitate the work of the church. So what I want you to do right now, you might still be in a preparation phase. You might start, still be thinking, like, how can I be a part of the work that's going on here? I'm not exactly sure how to get plugged in. Um, what I want you to do is I want you to start praying and thinking about how you can help with local mission and international mission, how you could be a part of that. I want you to start thinking about how you could, be a, how you could help with the hospitality ministry in the church. I want you to start thinking about those things because we're working on organizing teams that are going to oversee those, those ministries. So start thinking through how you can be a part of that now. And if there's another ministry that you're interested in or you see God at work in, come talk to me because I want to know about it. I want to help you. I want to see how we as a church can come alongside you, how we can work shoulder to shoulder with you and what God has broken your heart for. But most important, if you have never come to know the grace and the kindness and the love and the mercy of, and forgiveness of Christ in your life, um, anything, any work that you try to do is destined to fail. You cannot build apart from God's grace in your life. You can't. You might be able to do some good stuff. 
But what Paul says is even the best works by somebody who's not working under the power of the Holy Spirit, it's like filthy rags. We need God to move and breathe in us to work through us. So if you haven't ever come to know the grace of God in Jesus, like, don't wait. Please don't wait. Look, I can't save you, and I've made that abundantly clear. Um, But one thing I can do is introduce you to the coach, and there's nothing I would love to do more than to introduce you to him. So uh, we're going to sing here in just a moment. Um, And I want to invite anybody, anybody who either doesn't know Christ and wants to, wants to know him, wants to know that grace. You might be thinking, I've been weighed down by a heavy burden. I have not been able to like, get out of my own head. There are sins that you don't know about, Jared, that I, I can't move past. Did you know that you can be forgiven of that? Like radical forgiveness, like unbelievable forgiveness. Wiped clean. And given a brand new identity as there a son or a daughter of the king. And then the beauty of it is, then you get to link arms with the local church and see God move. So, if you have never done that, I invite you to do that today. And if you are, if you are, well, this is what it's going to take to rise up and build. Are we willing to do it? Let's pray. Father, God, I come to you today and I thank you for this word. I thank you for this text, um, for this word that's been preserved from us from Nehemiah. God, and I pray that you would use it. Um, I pray that you would drive us to, to love and good works. God, I pray that we would want to be people who are in the game, who are out there working side by side with our brothers and sisters, who see leaders leading and want to join them in the work that they're doing, who are motivated to see our, our kids, our grandkids, our, our neighbors, our city, like see them come to know Christ. Lord, help us to build the church. Let us see your kingdom come. Lord, so help us. Help us to have a view of what it is that you're, that you're pushing us towards. Father, I pray that you would move in us. I pray that you would move through us. I pray that you would do a work that only you can do. Both of those who don't know you, God, I pray that you would call them to salvation. And those of us who have known you for years and years, God, I pray that you would move in us so that we would have that, that fire relit. God, that we would burn or we would glow as we go out and we do the work that you've called us to. So, Father, I pray that you would carry us. I pray that you would move us. I pray that you would work through us. Lord, and just let us have a view of what you're doing. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.